Episode 208 of Monster Kid Radio, the podcast where we celebrate the classic and sometimes not so classic genre cinema of yesteryear, as well as a little bit of surf music. This is the song Tsunamish vs. Los Fantasmas. It's on Tsunamish's recent EP release of the same name. You can find Tsunamish vs. Los Fantasmas over at tsunamish.bandcamp.com or follow the link in the show notes over at monsterkidradio.net. That's our website. I'm your writer, host, producer, Derek M. Cook. Welcome to the podcast. I'm excited because Frank Schildener is continuing his stay here on Monster Kid Radio. A couple of days ago in episode 207, he told us about his upcoming novel, The Quest of Frankenstein, coming later this summer from Black Coat Press. I love talking about Frankenstein. I love talking to one of my favorite new pulp writers. I thought I'd combine the two, and I invited Frank to join me in a conversation about our favorite film Frankenstein Monsters. I brought my top three to the table, he brought his top three, and that's what you're going to get in this episode of Monster Kid Radio. Before we kick that off, I want to thank everybody who has supported or shared the link to or just thought really good thoughts about the Joy Cinema's Indiegogo campaign. As of this release, he has 38 days left to hit his goal of $50,000. Why does the Joy Cinema need your support? Well, they have the digital projector. They tackled that hurdle with flying colors when the studio said, you know, no more film prints. They went digital, got themselves set up for the long haul. Unfortunately, rent and lease goes up. And that's what Jeff Punkrock Martin and the Joy Cinema are dealing with right now. They have reached out to their fans, their supporters, and Monster Kid Radio and Edward Martin III from Hellbender Media. You know, a handful of us are trying real hard to help keep the joy open. There's an Indiegogo campaign right now. Even if you're not in the Portland, Oregon area, but you're a regular listener of Monster Kid Radio, you're familiar with The Joy, because The Joy Cinema has probably been the location for the most Monster Kid Radio crashes to date. Every Wednesday night, they do a weird Wednesday screening, typically some sort of public domain monster fantasy sci-fi film. They bring in some other things as well, but it's been a lot of fun going to that. I've introduced movies there. I've interviewed Jeff on the show a couple of times. Looking forward to having him on the show again in the near future to talk about The Joy. I'd love to do more crashes at The Joy. I just want to see The Joy succeed. And with your help, I'm sure we can make that happen. Go to monsterkidradio.net to find the link to the Indiegogo page for the Joy Cinema, or go to indiegogo.com and just do a search for Keep the Joy Cinema Open. Again, even if you're not local, just sharing the link to the Indiegogo page on your Facebook, your Twitter, your Google+, MySpace, and wherever it is you hang out online. Just spread the word. Every little bit helps. All right, let's talk about Frankenstein with Frank Schildener. Right after this. They have never lived before as they live now. One man has already died and the other was never born. Both exist in a world between life and death. Both long to be human. Neither can ever be. Dracula versus Frankenstein. Ten dead men's bodies were used to fashion Dr. Frankenstein's infamous creature. Tens of dozens of victims have kept Count Dracula alive for three centuries. Only one of these beings will survive their meeting. 
Dracula versus Frankenstein. Brand new thrills, brand new horror, brand new shock. Dracula versus Frankenstein in color, rated GP. Hammer Film Productions began in 1934, and after producing almost 200 films and television programs, the studio is still releasing and re-releasing new and classic film titles. 1951 Downplace is the podcast that brings you the story of the great Hammer films, one movie at a time. Here are your hosts describing what Hammer means to them. First is Casey. Hammer means the beautiful and glamorous women of Hammer Horror, the engaging storytelling, and amazing period films. Joining him is Derek. Hammer means the incredible work of actors like Peter Cushing, Christopher Lee, and even Michael Ripper. The gothic storytelling, the incredible music, and the set pieces. And finally, here's Scott. A port city in the Canadian province of Ontario and Canada's 10th largest city. This boy has a lot to learn. Join our hosts as they make their journey through the Hammer Films catalogue and discuss each film with critical opinion, historical facts, production notes and other information about these classic films. 1951 Downplace can be found in iTunes or their website www.1951downplace.com Oh, sorry, I thought you said Hamilton. 1951 Downplace, the home of Hammer Films discussion. The one, the only, King of Monsters brings you the Demon of the Atomic Age. Boris Karloff as Frankenstein, 1970, carrying on the hideous experiments of his infamous ancestor. In this stone sarcophagus, deep in the bowels of the earth, he buried his creature, his creation. Frankenstein, 1970. In the hell pit of his centuries-old castle, he perverts the terrifying wonders of nuclear science. Miss gets you some eyes. To unleash a horror beyond all imagination. What kind of dealings do you have with the director of the morgue? Are you interested in corpses? Even the cyclotron concealed in his subterranean vaults cannot complete his foul creation, for which he must have throbbing vital organs transplanted from living beings. Two people are missing, and I want to know why they haven't come back. Mr. Rowe, I imagine, would have us suspect foul play. Boris Karloff as Frankenstein, 1970. Total Terror! 
Frankenstein meets the Space Monster. All recorders to fast This is it. For the first time on the screen, America's missile might mobilized against annihilating invaders from outer space. We have come here to this planet for one purpose only, to acquire breeding stock to repopulate our planet. See the kidnapping of the Earth Maidens for the love-starved slaves of the sterile planet. Very good. We have done well, Nadia. I am pleased, Princess. You are satisfied. I will be satisfied when we have enough more like her to commence phase three. invasion of the beach party. See, a United States astro-robot become a creature of death. For the first time, See Earth Horror versus Space Terror. See Frankenstein meets the Space Monster in Futurama. So after spending so much time with Frankenstein, with the quest of Frankenstein, I thought it might be fun to just chat about some other cinematic Frankenstein's monsters. And I wanted to bring you on the show to do a top three list of your favorite Frankenstein monsters. I've got my own top three list. And I thought we'd go back and forth, starting with number three, going down to two, and then one. I suspect there's going to be some crossover here. I, I suspect. Uh, well, and that's okay. I think one, if we didn't have the same one, I would be... You know, that would be like a lottery law win. I mean, it's just I can't believe we're not going to have the same number one. I, I suspect our number one, yeah, if it doesn't match, somebody's going to have to turn in their monster kid card. Yeah, <laughs> that's what I was thinking, actually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I'm going to go first because I want to end on yours so that, you know, that way, yeah, since you're the guest. But again, I think our number ones are going to match. But starting the bottom of my top three list, I'm a big fan of a movie that came out in 1957. The monster was played by Gary Conway, and I'm talking about I Was a Teenage Frankenstein. I love this film, and I love the monster design in this. Well, when the stitches are out, he'll pass for a normal, quite attractive teenager. I want him to know and feel pain. What I create, I must control. Go on, activate this body. With Bissell, demonic as Professor Frankenstein, who creates out of human parts the most terrifying creature to walk the earth today. Destroy. 
my number three is Gary Conway and Teenage Frankenstein. Have you seen this one? Oh, of course you've I, seen this uh, one. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm a monster kid, but I had a period. I, I guess it was in the '80s where I had to see all of the t- monster movies. Oh, good. Uh, you know, I'd seen Teenage Werewolf uh, two, three hundred times at that point because it was played very regularly. But I had to see Teenage Caveman, which was not was but it, it <laughs> and i had to see all those versions it was just an i had these moments of obsession where like i had to see all of the black exploitation versions of these monsters too oh, so boy. <laughs> yeah so you know it's like there were times i was sitting i would sit there watching this video you know that friends would lend them to me and i'd be sitting and saying why did i do this to myself but i did <laughs> like teenage frankenstein it was a good movie it was an enjoyable movie I wish it had a proper DVD release. It doesn't, unfortunately. This one and Teenage Werewolf both are tied up with the person who's got the rights sitting on them and just haven't made them available for distribution on disc. I would love to see it on DVD. I had it on VHS years ago. I love that at the end of the movie it switches to color just for a split second. I just, I'm a big fan of this one. So that's my number three. Uh, that was a good choice. Um, my number three is Kaiju, but it's Christopher Lee's version of the character in The Curse of Frankenstein. More than a hundred years ago, in a mountain village in Switzerland, lived a man whose strange experiments with the dead have since become a legend. A legend that is still told with horror the world over. We've only just started, just opened the door. But now's the time to go through that door and find what lies beyond it. But don't you see, Paul? We've discovered the source of life itself, and we've used it to restore a creature that was dead. This is Frankenstein, who revolted against nature, who experimented with the devil and was forever cursed. His unwilling collaborator was Paul Kremp. I can't prove you murdered. But I can stop you using his brain. Why? He has no further use for it. Be careful! Do damn it! Only two women ever entered this house of evil. Elizabeth, come back! Elizabeth, the lovely cousin who had promised to marry him, and Justine, the maid, who kept passionate and secret rendezvous with her master. Won't you understand you're in real danger? What Victor is doing is dangerous to everyone in the house. Possibly conceive what dreadful thing he's planning to do. What are you trying to tell me, Paul? That Victor's wicked? Insane? Wicked? Insane? Evil? Call Frankenstein what you will. A demon had made a man made monster. And now, the monster was the master. Paul! What are you going to do? For your sake and to protect Elizabeth, I've so far kept silent. But now I shall go to the authorities and have them destroy that creature and see that you pay for these atrocities. No! The monster in that was very scary, very terrifying, because Christopher Lee does everything well. But the real monster in that series was Peter Cushing. Of course. And I was... Yeah, Peter Cushing... You watch those movies, and I do believe 
like my friend Chuck Lorenz uh, proposed, it might be more than one version of the character since there was a kind of discontinuity between a few of them. But the monster in that represented uh, a lot of the Shelley concepts as well as the modern concepts. So I always found Christopher Lee's version very, very fast to watch. Plus, Hammer always did great music. So when they did the reveal the first time, I jumped <laughs> out of my chair about seven. And it was like, oh, uh, all right. <laughs> it was like, you know, but it was the music that really got me at that moment. So I always put Christopher Lee as number three, and I always surprise people by that one. It's a great pick. Uh, I'm a big fan of Hammer. Well, I mean, I do the Hammer show with Scott and Casey. I'm a huge Hammer fan. I can't go a good couple hours without mentioning Peter Cushing to somebody. So, me so too. I- I'm all in with that one. That's a great choice. And I love that that monster... It takes a little bit of damage in the movie. I mean, it starts out one way, and then he takes a bullet to the face, and then his eyes all blood. I, I love that. Mm-hmm. There's a the little bit of. Good, yeah. um, in fact, in one of the movies, they they actually the monster was slowly getting back on the head, and it's like all of a sudden everything went bad. That, it was always interesting the way that that series progressed. Most interesting thing is that that version of Frankenstein, Baron Frankenstein, was successful. Every time, in fact, he was able to have his own body used and had his mind transferred into an exact duplicate. It's funny you mentioned that because um, that's my number two. (laughs) (laughs) In the year 1860, I, Baron Frankenstein, was sentenced to death on the guillotine. Why? Why had the world condemned me? Because I was the first man to create another living being. The first unnatural man. But because his brain was affected, because he could not control his animal instincts, he was hunted down and brutally murdered. But I have escaped the guillotine. And I shall avenge the death of my creation. Who is he? Nobody. He isn't born yet. You will witness scenes never before seen on a motion picture screen. You will see Frankenstein take the eyes of one man, the brain of another. You will see lifeless hands begin to move. You will see a man turn into the world's most terrifying monster. Ah! 
love Curse of Frankenstein. I love Christopher Lee, but I'm a huge fan of The Revenge of Frankenstein. And that's exactly what I was going to say is that my favorite, my number two favorite Frankenstein monster isn't really a monster. It's the successful transplantation of Frankenstein's brain from one body to another. It's that last Frankenstein moment in Revenge of Frankenstein, or, or Dr. Stein, as he starts calling himself at the very, very Dr. end. Dr. Stein. That's my number two. I'm a big fan of, of Revenge, and I mean, I like Carl, you know, in that movie. You know, he's he's really good, and he's, he's he goes on this journey to just falling apart at the end, but I love that at the end of that movie, Dr. Frankenstein is so successful, he's put himself into another body. That's the continuity I mentioned earlier, is that he has this thing going on in London and then all of a sudden in the next he's back on the continent not mentioning any of that and a wanderer again trying to go back to his home and find the and start over um my friend chuck lorian actually proposed that it might have been a different uh baron frankenstein he has some great theories in that i really love reading that time it uses uh all the monsters pretty much from universal and then some so, yeah, I love Revenge of Frankenstein. In fact, two years ago during Halloween, that's all I watched, the Peter Cushing Frankenstein series. When I first discovered Hammer, that's exactly how I watched these. I did all the Frankensteins in a row and all the Draculas in a row. And wow, that was that was a good time. I wish I could recapture that feeling. Like, I can tell you where I was, what I was doing, what apartment I was living in at the time. It was just a real treat. That's how I discovered Universal, all of their horrors. I don't know if I ever told you this. In the 70s, they would have these, you know, spring breaks. And all of us kids, we didn't have as many things to do. With. But the parents all had to go to work by then. And they didn't want our, the kids hanging around all the neighborhood. So our local library decided to have a festival of old horror movies that they somehow got. I've never found out how. And we watched all of them one in after another row over the course of like a week. Oh, wow. So that was my introduction to the Frankenstein series, which meant for a long, long time, Frankenstein, the Wolfman and the Dracula series were really made mentally one story, one big continuing story. And I had to learn which one was which name because they, you know, titles are not something a seven-year-old really pays attention to back then. Sure. So to me, Frankenstein was just one big story with, uh, you know, different members of the family and the monster. Wow. To to have that experience. You know, I thought about which of them I can go back and re-experience watching them all in a row on video, but to see them that way, Wow. With and it was film, by the way. It was not. Uh, yeah. You know, this is the set. These were done on film, so we we would um, hang on the floor, uh, the hard floor of uh, this library, watching them one after another. Wow. You know, it was really great time there, and uh, don't know that they would ever do that anymore. But it was certainly good because we got to see the Wolfman movies, the Frankenstein movies, and the. Dracula movies and the person running it, he actually put them in. So we saw Dracula first, and then we saw Dracula's daughter, and then we saw Frankenstein. It was done in a way that was continuity. He was a monster fan himself. You know, good for him, good for us. Yeah, no kidding. Wow. So my number two, I'm going to surprise you now. Uh oh. I'm going back to the old Toho period. Frankenstein conquers the world. 
from the ocean's unfathomable depths, a gigantic, man-like creature appears. depths of the earth comes a prehistoric mastodon of destruction. Never before has the screen known such heart-stopping terror. Starring Nick Adams. Well, I feel he's very important from a scientific point of view. I'd have to cut off a leg or an arm. Doctors, I won't let you conduct this test. Frankenstein with the strength of a thousand men and every man's need for affection that makes him a willing captive the chain hurts you <laughs> the new scoop of the century the horrifying touch of a severed hand with a life of its own terrifying force of a monster that dwarfs man's tallest structures. I know it's not Frankenstein, but it is. It was so, it was such a revelation to me because I had seen, as you just heard, all the Frankenstein movies. And the only other movie I had seen then was on Creature Feature TV. They showed Dracula versus Frankenstein. <laughs> I love that movie for all the wrong reasons. <laughs> it's such a bad, bad movie. Frankenstein monster. Oh, I love it too. Frankenstein monster looks like a potato. Dracula has an afro. I mean, you know, I learned later on from a friend of mine that there was originally a biker movie and they threw all these elements into it because they realized they make more money. <laughs> you know, you know, you look back at that movie and you see it and it's like, wow, that was so bad, but it was hysterically bad when I oh. saw that. And then Creature Feature, I think it was, or Chiller, which was another show that showed horror, showed both of the Frankenstein, the War of the Gargantuas, and Frankenstein Conquers the World. And to me, that made me say, hey, you know what? You don't have to always be the uh, the same thing. This could be unique. You can go different directions with the Frankenstein monster. And that really kind of sparked my imagination. So I have to put it really high on my list. I know it's not that great a movie. Either. No, actually, <laughs> I, I was laughing and, and saying, really? Because I just watched it again myself. I, I have, I found a copy of it hosted by the horror host Morgus. So I watched it hosted oh, by Morgus. Yeah. And I mean, I hadn't seen it in a long time, a few years anyway. And I love, I love Nick Adams. I'm a huge Nick Adams fan. I love Nick Adams. He was able to overact in such a fun in all his ways. Oh, yeah. I, I would have loved to have seen a buddy flick with Nick Adams and John Agar going around having adventures. I think that'd just be a treat. <laughs> oh, God. That would have been perfect, especially if it had happened in like a Godzilla kind of movie. The scientists and the and uh, spaceman together. Go. 
There that would have been just so awesome. I mean, you know, I've been reading about Nick Adams. They write a lot about him in uh, Film Facts magazine. So I've been over the last few years, and it's like, what a crazy character he was. I mean, he, mm. he and John A. were really unique. <laughs> But no, Frankenstein Conquers the World, that's a fun one, man. I And it's a definite yeah. unique approach to the monster. I mean, they they have – I don't want to ruin it. I feel like maybe not as many people have seen it as they should. But I, with the Frankenstein heart at the beginning and just where it goes from there, it's a glorious mess, but I love it. It is. It's what it is. It's a mess and it's kaiju. But it, you know what? I, but it was just such fun. Mm-hmm. And it, it did spark so many – so much imagination to me and so much that I have to put it on the list, even though, you know, I do love Glenn Strange's version of the monster and, and as well as uh, Lon Chaney Jr.'s version of the monster. I even watched uh, the I Frankenstein with Aaron Eckhart, you know, just to see the character and see where they went with it. <laughs> but the thing was, it was such a different concept and such a different direction that the Japanese actually made so. Mm-hmm. You know, I really, I, I got to put it number two. Sure. I almost put it in there, though. It was a it was a fight between that and the cartoon version, Frankenstein Jr. Frankenstein Jr., really? Wow. Yeah, it was because, you know, it was, again, it was the same period. It was like, wow, something different. But that really wasn't Frankenstein. That was really a robot. So I was like, yeah, eh, I can't. And can't put him in. He's really not related. He's just a name. So I, I jumped. I pushed him off. He he won. Uh, gotcha. Kite. So number one for me. Number one. I I think you know. And I, of course I, mean, I know. Yeah, of course. Do you want to say it? Boris Karloff. Oh yeah. When this dead hand moves, the monster created by a man they called Mad is turned loose to strike terror into the hearts of men. (laughs) To shock women into uncontrolled hysteria. Elizabeth! To prey upon the innocence of children. This is the story you've heard about, talked about. The spine-tingling, blood-chilling story that stuns your emotions. Frankenstein. Don't touch that! Without Karloff, there would be no monsters. When you think Frankenstein, that's the first thing you go to, is the flat top, the bolts in the neck. And you mentioned when we were talking about your novel, the pathos that he brings to the character. Nobody did it like him. No, no. And James Whale, his story was really on some different levels were to that story. It was not, you weren't watching a monster movie. You were watching this man's life in microcosm in its own way. Jack Pierce's makeup, mm. I mean, it changed the face of the world, but it was all really came down to the way that Karloff used the character 
the way he behaved, the way he moved, every step he took, every action he made, you both felt good and bad about the character at the same time. Yeah, I mean, without the actor behind the makeup, I don't think the the character would have the, the staying power that it has today. I mean, iconic, yes. He's visually interesting, thanks to Jack Pierce, and he was shot well, but no Karloff, no monster, as far as I'm concerned. It's just an amazing film. It's a different pace to the monster movies, because, I mean, you, the, the monster movie formula hadn't been established yet. So it's not like Universal or James Whale knew what they could and couldn't do. They just made a movie that happened to be about a guy making a monster. And I think because of that, it stands the test of time, and it is so striking and important. Also, they were willing to take chances. I mean, uh, the little girl at the river. Oh, I man. mean, that was a direction that James Whale took that – some modern writers and movie makers wouldn't even be willing to try. I mean, that was a powerful, sad scene, and you understand it on a lot of different levels. That was what was so amazing about it is that, you know, you got savage side of the monster. You even got the verbal side of the monster and bride, mm -hmm. and you got also the sad part which was based in James Whale's own life, mm -hmm. you know, the, the outsider feeling of it, which was also directly out of Mary Shelley as well. So he really it was on a whole different level when he wrote that story. And Karloff put life in that character. Oh, yeah. In the undead, he put life into it. You felt pain for the monster at times. And there are other times you're right there with the villagers ready to kill him. Yeah. You think of the Frankenstein monster, it's Karloff. Sure. Karloff, everybody. You can love different versions of it. Heck, we, uh, we just mentioned other versions of it. He played the monster three times in each film. I mean, he's kind of evolving the character a little bit. I think the first two are the most impressive when it comes to Karloff's portrayal. I mean, I love, I love Son of Frankenstein. I'm not, I'm not saying I don't, but I think the first two, if you want some just pure, unadulterated Karloff as the monster. Yeah, the problem with the third one was that the monster suddenly couldn't speak again. But the positive side of it was his physical interaction with Bela Lugosi was so perfect. Mm -hmm. And Bela was so incredible as Igor that it actually ended up being a very, very well-made movie. Oh, yeah. Then in The Ghost with uh, Lon Chaney Jr., Ghost of Frankenstein – Bela was the real monster in the movie. Yeah, I mean, not to take anything away from Karloff, but I watched Son of Frankenstein for Lugosi. Oh, yeah, you yeah, really have to because yeah. Lugosi steals every moment of that movie that he's in. He was so incredible, and I don't know, the direction for him was used so properly that he really ended up using his best parts mm -hmm. in those scenes, Eeyore was to this day one of the great monsters of universal horror. Yes. And Eeyore, you know, when people think of Eeyore, they don't think of any of the earlier versions, you know, Dwight Fry's Carl or whatever. Fritz or any of those, yeah. Yeah, you know, any of those. It's all the hunchback, twisted, evil version, even in that not so good Van Helsing movie with. Uh, you know, that was made in a, in a few years back. <laughs> I really don't like that movie. I hadn't thought um, about it on purpose for quite some time. Thanks. Yeah, but it came to mind because there was one great moment to me that made me say, all right, it's not as bad as it could have been, was they 
character of Igor, who was just overplayed to no end, he at one point locks up a bunch of people and he says to them, you think you get Igor, but Igor gets you, which is right out of Bela in Ghost of Frankenstein. And it was like, okay, they at least had the guts to quote that instead of, you know, so... Okay, it could have been worse, but it wasn't that good. <laughs> <laughs> Colin Clive, though. Oh, man. I, I, I love my Cushing. I love Peter Cushing quite a bit, but I feel like Colin Clive plays him so differently and so tragically. Well, Colin Clive was such a tragic person in real life. True, I mean, true. The man was a deeply alcoholic, sad man who died young, and his hysteria – through that whole movie, really at times was one of the driving vehicles. His insane reactions at times were so interesting. When you hear the words, it's alive, I don't, you know, you could be anywhere in the world. They're probably thinking of Colin Clive's crazed way of saying it. Mm-hmm. And Colin Clive really took, you know, really amazing steps in that movie. But uh, you got, I always question whether it was him James Whale or his own psychological problems that came out of there. But yeah, Colin Clive, he was really an important character uh, and his Baron Frankenstein will always be pretty important. The other people in it, unfortunately, were not so memorable because they were really just set players while the main story went on. That's true. I mean, Dwight Fry is great. And I like Edward Van Sloan quite a bit, but yeah, Edward Van Sloan is always good. When you think of Frankenstein, though, you you don't really think of anybody else. You think of Karloff, you think of Whale, you think of Clive, and that's pretty much where it ends. Alone is worth moving. Oh man, what an interesting and fascinating character that I feel like hasn't been represented pretty much anywhere else. There was a novel a few years ago when Dark Horse Comics got the license to do some Universal novels that Pretorius shows up in, but I don't think I've seen Pretorius show up anywhere else really. But what a fascinatingly evil and just deliciously bad character he was. Oh, he does appear in Kim Newman's book. Uh, his last book, uh, uh, The Anno Frankenstein, Johnny Alucard. Have you ever read that series? No, I haven't. But you just mentioned Johnny Alucard and, and Pretorius in the same sentence, so now I'm I'm interested. Kim Newman is probably one of the great monster kids of the world. I mean, the man knows more about horror than any 20 human beings at a horror convention. He's a great writer, just an amazing person, and really devoted to the field of horror movies and books and stuff like that his first book was a book called Anno Dracula where 
it's an alternate world story where Dracula wins at the end of the book. He then converts some people to being vampires and goes after the biggest prize of them all, Queen Victoria. And he converts her to a vampire, marries her, and becomes Lord Protector of England. And vampires come out of the woodwork and become normal parts of life. In fact, Lord Ruthven, one of the earliest vampires based on Byron, he becomes Prime Minister. And it's a whole Jack the Ripper kind of story with the backdrop of vampires of all kinds uh, in the world of Victorian England. The second book is called Bloody Red Baron. It takes place during World War I, where Dracula is on the side of the Germans and the Prussians, and he's leading the World War I. And there's a lot of um, characters out of German literature from there. Dr. Mabuse, uh, you know, characters like that make appearances. Uh, one of the main characters is a vampire version of Edgar Allan Poe. Really amazing. Yeah. Kim Newman is just amazing. Well, he wrote some short stories over the course of years and finally put them all together in one big tale, which probably was his plan because the man is just an incredible writer, called Johnny Alucard. It's a story that takes place from the making of a Dracula movie in Transylvania all the way through to modern Hollywood. And Pretorius, who mentioned, plays a part in that book. He's definitely involved in that story. He's still himself in the modern era. So there's some really interesting stuff there. It's a great uh, series of books. Uh, it's available, uh, been available for years. I stumbled on it by chance and became a huge, huge fan. And um, Kim Newman has written some great monster stories over the years himself. He wrote a story uh, that took place after the War of the Worlds. It's from the point of view of one of the aliens who is an actor in Hollywood. So basically what just happened here, listeners, is Frank gave me some books to read to hold myself over until his own book, The Quest of Frankenstein, comes out. There you go. So I think that's basically what happened. Part of the fun of a Kim Newman book is the man knows more about monsters than you, me, and everybody we know on Monster Kid together and he will find obscure characters from obscure stories and movies they'll make you go oh wow holy gosh I, I didn't even know that one now I gotta see it I mean the list of characters in his books are just amazing plus he likes to tease other things in there like he'll have oh I'm sorry there was another book there was a book that took place in in between Johnny Alucard and uh, Bloody Red Baron I totally forgot that it's uh, called Dracula Cha-Cha-Cha, <laughs> and it takes place in Italian horror. This sounds amazing. I'm going to have to read these. Uh, I, I think I've read Anno Dracula years ago, but uh, I've never followed up, so I'm going to have to dive back in. I will tell you that there's a lot of Paul Piros in the Bloody Red Baron. Dracula Cha-Cha-Cha, which has another name for the American publication, but I have the British publication. That's what I think of it as. That has a lot of uh, Italian horror. Dracula is about to marry uh, a very famous Italian horror vampire woman. I'm not going to say it because you really got it. When you read it, it's like, oh, wow, you know, really cool reaction. And Johnny Alucard, that has parts of it from the 70s. It has parts of it from the 80s, 90s, and all the way up to the modern day. And I just re I read that book like 
tearing through it. It was so good. So you can't go wrong with uh, Kim Newman series. And then you'll start digging into his short stories, be, like the one I mentioned with the actor who was an alien from World of the Worlds, who talks about playing aliens as villains like in war movies, the way that German actors like Conrad Veidt used to play Nazis, even though they were as opposite to the Nazis as a person could get. <laughs> man's good. Man's better than I ever will be, but I'm happy to be a fan. That, that sounds awesome, and it sounds like you know, he ties in all these different characters and, and ideas from different horror movies. You mentioned earlier, uh, and you've mentioned it to me on Facebook, but you said it in our conversation that there was a friend of yours who linked all these different monster movies together in like one giant timeline. Yes. His name is uh, Chuck Lorians. Um, he has been a friend of mine for many, many years, and I absolutely love the guy. He's one of the best human beings I've ever known. And he wrote this essay called Children of the Night, where he basically creates a timeline for the world of the monsters with different versions of the, of the Frankenstein monster and different versions of the Baron, the basis for uh, a lot of the families that have werewolves in them, Dracula, and there's an explanation of why there's so many vis different visuals of Dracula. And he took it from Legend of the Seven Golden Vampires, the, the vampire uh, hammer kung fu vampire movie, which I absolutely adore because I'm a martial artist in real life. The, one of the funniest parts of that is uh, at the beginning of the movie, Dracula sort of inhabits the body of this Chinese priest, kind of creating like a a clone of himself, a soul clone, and sends him back to China to revive these vampires and start like a, you know, looking for power in China. And Chuck took this as basically meaning that Dracula takes people and sort of uses like this power to kind of create them as sort of lesser Draculas that he sends out into the world and sometimes controls. And that explains why there's these different visuals of Dracula all over the place and every other other monster is Dracula. Well, you know, there's really one Dracula. It's just these are a lot of his lesser soul clones. Chuck came up with this idea, and I just thought it was a great, great concept. And his stories on uh, on the Frankensteins were just so voluminous and encyclopedic. I really had a great time reading it. I've read it many times. And when I met Chuck for the first time in real life a bunch of years back, I was able to thank him for it because it was just, to me, one of the best things going. And Chuck is also one of the nicest human beings I'd ever known, so I, I, you know, I can't speak well enough of the man. It's online. If I'm looking at the right website, it's Monsta, M-O-N-S-T-A-A-H? Yeah, he created a sort of think tank through that, and other guys ran with it. So the original Children of the Night um, was done by him, and people have been adding to it for years since then, though I prefer Chuck's over, the, over all of the additions. Uh, Chuck just had the best view of it, and he was able to add things like the luchador heroes to the stories and things like that. So he kind of understood what I loved. Yeah. <laughs> When you post, and I think this came up in a conversation when we were talking about how somebody was looking at linking some of the AIP movies together as a big remake chronology thing, and it was brought up on Facebook that somebody already did something similar with some of these other monster movies that aren't all just Universal. And you posted a link, and I checked it out, and my jaw was just on the floor because you're linking in 
all these different Dracula and Frankenstein films from all over the world. Santo's in there. So I'm like, wow, okay, I'm on. I'm in. <laughs> yeah, it's really, it, for a monster kid, it was like when you read this, you're, you're sitting back and saying to yourself, wow, that's great. Part of the fun that I had writing Quest of Frankenstein was I discovered only probably halfway through that I was really creating an entire world myself. It's not quite Chuck's world. It's not quite anybody else's. It's my own version of it. Mm-hmm. But I actually created a world. I didn't know I was doing it, but I did it. And boy, was it fun. Boy, was it hard work. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like fun. And it's been fun having you here on the show, Frank. I can't wait for the novel and anything else you've got come up. I mean, is it too early to start talking about what's next for you? Well, I have a short story coming up that you're probably going to want to talk to me about, too, because it goes a different horror direction. I went Dennis Wheatley that time. Wow. Okay. Yeah. I am a fanatic for Dennis Wheatley. I just love the man's stuff, and he was such an amazing human being himself. I just love what he did with uh, the world of horror, and The Devil Rides Out is still my favorite horror movie of all time, probably. I was going to say we need to mention that to listeners who know who we're talking about. The Devil Rides Out, Hammer film, based on one of his novels. And Wheatley wrote a whole series of of novels featuring those characters going on these adventures. Yeah, the the character's known as the Duke de Richelieu. And Christopher Lee played him so well. And the villain of the piece is played by Charles Gray, who later played uh, Blofeld in Diamonds Are Forever. He was a great actor. He even played... um, Sherlock Holmes' brother, Mycroft, in the Granada series. So he was one of my favorite human beings to see in TV and movies. And he was just so evil. Really beautifully shot movie by Harmer. A great movie. And that made me a fan, and I started seeking out Dennis Wheatley. Well, I decided, you know, I can't do Dennis Wheatley. I'm not him, and, you know, I wouldn't want to be him because he was himself. So I created a character known as Johnny Rich. It's tied into the Wheatley universe without being ever mentioned because, you know, I don't want to pay money to people. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Johnny Rich is a wealthy aristocrat in the 1960s who is investigating at the behest of the British Secret Service. This story has a very Dennis Wheatley feel set in the 1960s. Johnny Rich's partner is a beautiful Asian woman who has a pulp history of her own that's kind of hinted at. And one of the things that I that came out of the story was Johnny talks about her who she seems to be his assistant, but she's really find out pretty soon that they're a lot closer than that. He talks about her as if she's the most the biggest chatterbox and uh, in the world that she doesn't like this. And she's always talking about this, but the woman never speaks in the entire story. She mimes things. She she raises her hands or eyebrows, but she never really says a word. But she says a lot with like one gesture, and she's a pretty fun character to write. Her name is May. That's the only thing I it it is. But they've at different times he talks about her mother and grandfather, so you can get an idea where that came from. There's a there's Dennis Wheatley based story, but set in the '60s, and that's coming out soon from Pro Se one of my favorite publishers with Tommy Hancock. I also wrote a public domain superhero character with Jay Piscopo. Jay and I are good friends, and we wanted to write this character for a while known as the Iron Skull. He's a character that went public domain. He's a 
large alien kind of looking guy with no nose. And Tommy asked me to write it, and Jay and I wrote this story basically, and he's doing the art for it now, that is so different from any superhero character I've ever written. It really took it in directions I hadn't imagined. It was a kind of superhero if it was written by, I don't know, maybe a little bit of Edgar Rice Burroughs with a little bit of 60s dementia. <laughs> That's all I can say. It's like it goes in ways I just didn't know I was doing. And it's like I'm reading this and when I'm writing it. It's like, oh, my Lord, there's something wrong with me. <laughs> so those two are coming out. I just about to finish a short story for Airship 27, Ron Fortier's company, and I, another person I love. Uh, Judge is a great guy, and he and his partner, Rob Davis, are just great people. This is my first Western the character is known as Major Sabbath. Uh, it was created out of out of Euro westerns, spaghetti westerns, by Rick Lye, one of the great writers and most knowledgeable guys out there. Rick created this character out of multiple versions of heroes and villains played by character actors like Lee Van Cleef in those old Euro westerns, and just love that character. And Lee Van Cleef was just so great at that. Well, he proposed to me, why don't you write one? Because there was a spaghetti western that used kung fu called The Legend of Shanghai Joe. It's available <laughs> on YouTube. It's a terrible movie. Though I had one good laugh about it. I'll tell you about it in a minute. Um, and I wrote a story with Major Sabbath meeting this Shanghai Joe. Chin Ho is his real name. The funny moment is, because I hadn't seen the movie since I was a little kid, since the time I saw it and then I became a martial arts instructor and I'm pretty knowledgeable on the subject for what I am. Uh, mm -hmm. I'm not a genius, but I know a bunch. And they showed the character Shanghai Joe in this Chinese temple practicing martial arts. And I started laughing myself sick. And my wife, who's also a martial arts instructor herself, a black belt herself, came over and says to me, what's going on? And like I showed her. And she said, well, it just looks like Shotokan. It's a form of Okinawan martial arts. It looks like he's practicing Shotokan. And I said, yes, but he's supposed to be from China. He's supposed to be practicing Kung Fu, which looks nothing like Shotokan karate. It was like whoever they got to play this part of Shanghai Joe was practicing Japanese martial arts <laughs> when he was supposed to be from China. I, I, I just started laughing myself sick. It's like, oh, God, they did. You know, it's like uh, probably me and 20 other guys on Earth recognize that happened there. So that is going to be handed in probably by the end of next week after I've read it a few more times. Um, and I have been asked to write a few more stories for one for Moonstone, the big publisher of Pulp. Mm -hmm. A character named Ivy Frost, really amazing Sherlock Holmes kind of character. And also for Pro Se, Jay Piscopo has a pulp universe called the Nemoverse. He's written three graphic novels and some comic books based on these characters. It's a very Johnny Quest meets heroes kind of world. And Jay is just an incredible writer and artist. And he made an uh, agreement with Tommy Hancock's Pro Se, and they're going to write short stories based on the world. So I sent in a proposal, because I've written several short stories of that world as well in comics for Jay. So that should be a lot of fun. So I'm a busy guy, but hopefully I'll also get to write another uh, novel based on Garul and Quest of Frankenstein and take him. I have some ideas of North America, because North American horror is pretty cool stuff. 
Right on. Well, definitely keep me posted. Uh, we'll keep an eye on Black Coat Press's website for the release of The Quest of Frankenstein, and I'll be watching your Amazon page for new books and new material coming from you. I think I follow you over there, and of course, you're on Facebook. And I mean, just keep me posted, man, because I love having you in my collection. So thank you for having me there, and thanks again for uh, Monster Kid Radio and having me as a guest again. I hope to come back soon. Me too. Thanks, Frank. <laughs> Thank you so much, Derek. A big thanks to Frank for joining me for this conversation about Frankenstein. I love the Frankenstein monster. There was actually a very brief period back in the 90s when I started collecting Frankenstein monsters. I had figurines and figures and just pretty much whatever I can get my hands on Frankenstein-wise. I've kind of let that go just because I don't have room for everything these days, but Man, I really love the Frankenstein monster. The story of Frankenstein is so moving and so important to me as a monster kid, to the monster movie movement, the genre, the classics. No Frankenstein, I mean, really. I know it wasn't the first, but it is clearly one of the most important. Thank you, Frank Schuldiner, for talking about Frankenstein, and I cannot wait for your novel, The Quest of Frankenstein. Remember, everyone, that's going to be available later this summer from Black Coat Press. Go check out blackcoatpress.com slash questfrankenstein.htm and you'll be able to read more about the book see the cover art by mike hoffman it looks amazing and if you just can't wait to get your hands on the quest of frankenstein i highly recommend things like big old scorpion or first seas and other tales from frank and if you need a little bit more frankenstein in your life and really we all can never have too much frankenstein i'd like to ask you to check out the monthly podcast that i co-produced with scott morris and casey criswell 1951 down place as a hammer films podcast and we just covered the film frankenstein must be destroyed also a couple of times frank mentioned a friend of his by the name of chuck loridens chuck has created this incredible timeline linking all the monster movies that i can think of and a few that i couldn't been talking to Chuck, probably going to have him on the show in the near future to talk about that. Have you had a chance to vote in the rallies this year? Monster Kid Radio is starting a new tradition. Every year, we're going to look at three years and classic monster movie dumb and honor the best actor, actress, director, best film, and best monster of monster movies. Head over to tinyurl.com slash rallies2015. That's R-A-L-L-I-E-S 2015. Or you can just follow the link at monsterkidradio.net. It's over on the right-hand side, right beneath where you would sign up for the Monster Rally Checkpoint newsletter. The deadline for the rallies this year, your ballot must be in by June 7th. And then later on this month, we're going to go over who you've decided were the best in classic monster movies from 1931, 41, and 51. Well, this brings us to the end of this episode of Monster Kid Radio. I want to thank everybody for listening, for supporting the show, and for being a patron. We do have a Patreon page, and depending on what level you become a patron of Monster Kid Radio at, you might get certain perks, certain rewards, like being included in the executive producer roll call once a month here on the show. So, without further ado, Monster Kid Radio appreciates the support of executive producers Andy Campbell, Justin Giallo. Mitch Gonzalez, Ron Kirkley, Scott and Tracy Morris, Joseph Perry, Mike Tutino, Steve Turner, Tom and Eileen, and Dorado Films. I appreciate your support. I appreciate everybody's support. Thank you for making Monster Kid Radio 
what it is. Now, you're also going to see a special thanks section over on our website at monsterkidradio.net where we have everything you need to know about the show between episodes. We have our contact information where you can send us an email at monsterkidradio at gmail.com or call and leave us a voicemail at 503-479-5657. That's 503-479-5MKR. We have links to every song that's appeared here on the show, up to and including the band Sonomish, which was the band that provided the music this week. We have links to our various stores. Now, we have an Amazon shop. I haven't updated it lately, but there's quite a few awesome movies and books in there that you can buy directly through Amazon, and we get like a penny or two that way. We also have a Zazzle store where you can pick up some postcards and maybe even a t-shirt from Monster Kid Radio. And of course, we have a link to our Facebook group where you can interact with Monster Kid Radio listeners between episodes or even while you listen. In the Facebook group, I typically launch a monthly poll, and this month is no exception. There will be a new poll in the Facebook group. I'm excited about this one. It was inspired by a YouTube video that Tracy Morris sent me. Somebody went over to Japan and filmed what it was like to be in the Godzilla room in one of the hotels over there. It looks amazing, and it inspired this month's poll question. Go over to Facebook to participate in that. Of course, we have a Facebook page you can like as well, so if you're a user of Facebook, that's where you can find me. Now, I don't do a heck of a lot on Twitter. I do have a Pinterest page. I'm trying to do a little bit more social media wise. So if there's a preferred social media network or outlet that you use that we don't use, let me know what it is. Email me and I'll see if it's something that I can work into the MKR online presence. Next week on Monster Kid Radio, Mitch Gonzalez is coming back to the show. We haven't had him on the show in a while. In fact, you know how Facebook every once in a while will put up one of these Facebook memory. Last year, you shared this. Well, Facebook popped something to me, and this week, apparently last year, we had Mitch Gonzalez on the show to talk about the horror of Party Beach. Has it been a year? Has it been that long? Man. Well, we need to catch up. We need to talk about robots with him because he designed a killer robot for the latest film from Christopher Armim. Danny Johnson Saves the World. I've seen the movie. It's a lot of fun. And the robot looks awesome. So we're going to talk about robots in monster movies with Mitch next week. We're going to do another list as well, another top three. So stay tuned for that. Between now and then, remember that Monster Kid Radio is a registered service mark of Monster Kid Radio LLC. And inspired by a post in our Facebook group, I'd like to let you know that it's a 3.0 Creative Commons and unported license. Also no derivatives, but no need to be frightened. When he says it fast enough, we always get excited. 3.0 Creative Commons and unported license. Yeah, I've got nothing on Julie Andrews or Dick Van Dyke. Thanks to Joe Blevins for posting that in the group. Made my day. Of course, none of that applies to the band Tsunamish. Tsunamish versus Los Fantasmas. It's an EP that came out last year. Four awesome songs, including the title track, Tsunamish versus Los Fantasmas. Go check them out over on Bandcamp or Facebook. Let them know that Monster Kid Radio sent you. Maybe even do it while you're listening as they play us out. Thanks. Yes, then, <laughs>